I just want to um, ask you a question. The question I want to ask you to have you think about is, how many sermons do you think you've heard in your lifetime? How many? I've preached approximately 750 sermons across this pulpit in the years that the Lord has enabled me to be here and preach with you and to you. That's a lot. If you've been here the whole time with me, that's 750. I did a little kind of fast calculation, and if you came to faith early in life, kind of grown up in the church, you know, sort of that scenario, then uh, you will hear in your lifetime uh, somewhere north of 3,500 sermons. 3,500 sermons in a lifetime. That's a lot. That's a lot of sermons. And here's the, here's the sobering reality of that, beloved, is that uh, God will call us to an account for those sermons that we've heard. He expects that when we hear a sermon that we really hear the sermon. Coming together for the preaching event, as it were, which has long been the centerpiece of the worship of God's people and Grateful for the scripture reading this morning, kind of emphasizing the role of the scriptures in the, people, in the lives of the people of God. When we come together, it's a, uh, we, have, we enjoy our time together, and, um, but there's a seriousness involved. There's a seriousness. God is very, very concerned with how we listen to sermons. And it's probably... Um, more difficult in our culture, in our day and age, I think, in the sense that we're bombarded with information. We, we live in an information overload kind of age. You know, we carry typically in our pocket or our purse a more computing power than sent the, you know, the astronauts to the moon back you know, a long time ago, 50 years ago. And that access to the internet gives us access to, to an overload of information. And it also gives us access to a lot of sermon line, online sermon material. And many of you make use of that. And, and so perhaps 3,500 is an underestimate of how many sermons you will hear in your lifetime or how many you've already heard. But just understanding that the reality of this is that there's a, an accountability that attaches to hearing the word of God. The Bible is just replete with statements that emphasize this reality. Let me just quickly go through some of them with you to, to kind of get an idea that from Old to New Testament, this is, this is a serious matter. Serious matter. Deuteronomy, for example, Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 4, the, the Shema, the great confession of Israel. Hear, O Israel. The Lord is our God, the Lord is one. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God. The prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, 28 times in their writings, they use the expression, hear the word of the Lord. 
Hear the word of the Lord. Six times they say, listen to the word of the Lord. Listen. The psalmist in Psalm 95, verses 7 and 8, he writes, For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, and the sheep of his hand. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, as at Meribah, as in the day of Massa in the wilderness. Today, if you hear his voice, do not close off your heart. The Proverbs, the book of Proverbs itself starts in Proverbs chapter 1 and, and verse 8. Hear, my son, a father's wisdom. Same chapter, chapter 1, verse 33. He who listens to me shall live securely and will be at ease from the dread of evil. He who listens. Jesus says six times in the Gospels, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Let him hear. Luke chapter 8, verse 18, Jesus says, take care how you listen. There's a good way to listen and a bad way to listen. Take care how you listen. Luke 8, verse 21, same context. Or Jesus' mother and, and, and brothers and so forth showed up and, and they, they're, Jesus is in the house teaching and, and they want to take him home and get him away from it all. And, and he says, my mother and my brothers are these who hear the word of God and do it. The writer of the Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 5 and verses 11 through 12, he writes, concerning him... And it's a reference to Melchizedek. Concerning Melchizedek, we have much to say. And it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. There's a critique of them. The fact that they have not listened and learned. Peter writes in 1 Peter 2.2, 2, like newborn babies long for the pure milk of the word so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. Long for it like a, like a child longs for milk. Paul's words in Romans 10 and verse 17, faith comes by hearing. And hearing by the word of Christ. Beloved, true and lasting change, true and lasting change comes through the Spirit and the Word. It is the Spirit and the Word. And the primary vehicle that, that the Spirit uses is preaching, the proclamation of God's Word. It is a primary means the Spirit has used and will continue to use to transform his people, to save, to sanctify. Paul writes in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, 
All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. Or in 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 18, for the word of the cross is to those who are perishing foolishness, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. And then finally, 1 Timothy 4, verse 13. Timothy, until I come, give attention to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation and teaching. What is the right and proper response to preaching? How should we respond when we hear the word preached? I think a perfect template can be Drawn out of Acts chapter 2 and verse 37, where Peter preaches that, that amazingly powerful message there on Pentecost to the Jewish nation. And at the end of his message, as he drives home the reality that they have crucified their Messiah, but God has raised him from the dead and made him Lord. And they hear it. They say, brethren, what shall we do? We have, we have heard now the word of God. We believe what you have said to us. Now what do we do? This morning, this morning what I want to do with you is to, is to speak about three essential activities, three essential activities that we must engage in, that we must engage in so that we will fully benefit from the Sunday morning preaching. This message is a topical message. This is not a, a deep theological, exegetical kind of message. This is designed to be super practical. A super practical message on how do we respond to the preaching of the word? How do we go about becoming hearers and doers of the word of God? I begin here with a quote from a preacher Lance Quinn, some of you know Lance. Reflecting on this particular topic, he writes, listening to a sermon, really listening, as in thinking, praying, following the argument, concentrating on the meaning and its application to your life, now that's hard work. How true that is. How true it is. I mean, Sunday morning's not the time to coast. And yet, it's easy to do. It's easy to do. So as we look at it together here this morning, again, I want to I present this to you in a way that encourages you. Lots of practical uh, examples and suggestions to try to, to help all of us to become better listeners, more proficient. So it begins in Mark chapter 4, and I'll turn you there to Mark chapter 4, and the first activity is that we need to hear with our hearts. We must hear the word of God with our hearts, with our hearts. Mark chapter 4, beginning in verse 1.
he, that is Jesus, began to teach again by the sea. And a very large crowd gathered to him. And he got into a boat in the sea and sat down. And the whole crowd was by the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables. He was saying to them in his teaching, listen to this. Behold, the sower went out to sow. As he was sowing, some seed fell beside the road, and the birds came and ate it up. Other seed fell on the rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of soil. And after the sun had risen, it was scorched, and because it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns came up and choked it, and it yielded no crop. Other seeds fell into the good soil. And as they grew up and increased, they yielded a crop and produced 30, 60, and 100 fold. And he was saying, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. As soon as he was alone, his followers, along with the 12, began asking him about the parables. And he was saying to them, to you it has been given the mystery of the kingdom of God, but those who are outside get everything in parables, so that while seeing they may see and not perceive, and while hearing they may hear and not understand, otherwise they might return and be forgiven. And he said to them, do you not understand this parable? How will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word. These are the ones who are beside the road where the word is sown, and when they hear, immediately Satan comes and takes away the word which has been sown in them. In a similar way, these are the ones on whom seed was sown on the rocky places, who when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no firm root in themselves, but are only temporary. Then when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones on whom seed was sown among the thorns. These are the ones who have heard the word. But the worries of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word. And it becomes unfruitful. And those are the ones on whom seed was sown on the good soil. And they hear the word and accept it and bear fruit 30, 60, and 100-fold. Beloved, whenever we hear the word of God, we are drawn into the thick of spiritual warfare. We are drawn into a battle. And it is a battle for our minds and for our hearts. Satan actively seeks to snatch the word from us. The deceitfulness of riches, the difficulties of life, the, the pleasures all conspire to choke it out, to render it ineffective. It's all going on right now in our midst. The only hope we have is that the soil that is our heart is, is properly prepared to, to receive that word. Receive that word, the implanted word. James talks about in James 1.21, he 
He says, therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, in humility receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. Prepare your hearts to receive the word of God. How? How do we go about preparing our hearts to receive the word of God? I'm glad you asked, because I have some practical suggestions for us, practical suggestions. So here they are. I I think they're available on the screen as we go. These are just ideas, okay, just just ideas, suggestions. These are not, it's, it's not thus saith the Lord, okay? I think it begins here, honestly. I I think it begins with developing a daily habit of reading the scriptures, meditating on the word of God. To prepare our hearts to hear and receive the word of God in, in the Sunday preaching event. I think it begins privately, quietly, in our own time of reading and meditating on the word of God. It 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 breaks up the ground, it softens the soil. John Piper says, daily reading is like a spiritual appetizer. Right? What's the purpose of appetizers? Drive up the bill so that there's a bigger tip. Everybody knows that. Right? I mean, the appetizer is supposed to get you ready for the meal. Daily reading the word gets you ready for the meal. Another suggestion is to, is to read ahead in, in preparation for the Sunday sermon. I mean, the general habit here from this pulpit is, is exposition of various Bible books. We are in the book of Ephesians. We have been in the book of Ephesians for, uh, we're into our second year. And so you basically know what's coming week in and week out. What's going to be the next sermon? It'll be wherever I ended. It'll be the next section. So by reading ahead of time and and thinking about what you've read ahead of time, you can can formulate questions in your mind and and sort of bring them into the Sunday. And say, you know, I'm curious about this. You know, I hope he answers this question. I want to know. It's a way to to hear with your heart. Pray. Pray during the week that that your heart would be receptive for the word of God on Sunday morning. And pray for me in in the delivery of the word. That I can make it clear as I ought. Confess your sin to God. We provide a a time, Sunday mornings, to to confess our sin to God. He's ready to hear. He's ready to forgive. He's ready to cleanse. Don't let it be a barrier to hearing the word of God. When you dine in a fine restaurant, I'm talking about a fine restaurant, between courses, they serve what's called sorbet. I can remember the first time 
that I had that experience. I had no idea what it was. I said, it can't be dessert already. <laughs> and it's a, it's a fruit mixture designed to cleanse your palate. That's what the Mater D whispered into my ear, which I really appreciate, by the way, him whispering it into my ear rather than embarrassing me in front of the entire group of people that I had taken out to a business dinner, right? Mr. Sophistication, what in the world is that? <laughs> it's to cleanse your palate, sir. I didn't know my palate was dirty. <laughs> it's, de it's designed to take the taste off your taste buds, off your tongue, and prepare it to receive the next course. All week long, we, we ingest junk food. Junk food. And we need to have our spiritual palate cleansed to be ready to taste the Word of God. Practical suggestions. Reduce your amount of media intake. Reduce the amount of media intake. We live in this world of, of sound bites that have the, have the effect of, of reducing our ability to concentrate, to focus. Culturally, I preached for a long time. I know, you're nodding your heads. Historically, I preach for a short time. Throughout the, the history of the church, the, the, if you preach for 50 minutes or an hour and said, okay, I'm done, they say, get back in the pulpit. You're not done. Is that all you got? But we have been trained to think everything has to be fast, quick, bundled together. Don't make me think too much. Media intake diminishes your ability to concentrate. I guess I'm on number six, if anybody's keeping score. Plan for Sunday. Plan for Sunday. Get enough sleep Saturday night, right? Sunday morning begins Saturday night. I mean, listen, if you walk away with anything from this sermon this morning, walk away with that. Sunday morning begins Saturday night. That means plan your Saturday with the reality that Sunday is coming. And don't fill your day so full. Don't, don't cram in so much that you wake up Sunday morning and you feel like you've been run over by a truck. Or getting out of bed is a struggle. I would suggest on Saturday nights to avoid visual and, and mental input, which will cause lingering distractions on Sunday morning. In other words, husbands and wives, Saturday night is not a great time to discuss some big, hairy deal that you're having in your relationship, okay? Pick a different time because you're going to bring that into Sunday morning. You're going to be reliving it. Man, if I should have said this and, you know, that's how it goes. Plan your Saturday night in light of Sunday morning. 
Don't watch some movie Saturday night that has you all Sunday morning trying to figure out the plot. I wonder how they did that. I mean, just distractions. They're all over the place. Be proactive. Rule them out. Okay, young parents, here we go. Saturday night, right? Sunday morning begins Saturday night. What do I mean? Lay out the clothes for the kids Saturday night. So Sunday morning, you're not running around, where are my shoes? I can't find my shoes. Gee, the last time I wore them, I wonder where I left them. Kids love it when parents say that sort of stuff. They love it. We just lay out the kids' clothes ahead of time. Right? Write your offering check Saturday night. Just get ready. Listen, stock your diaper bag Saturday night. Don't be running around Sunday morning looking to, you know, do I have this, do I have that, you know, get it all done. Eat properly Sunday morning. Eat a protein-based breakfast on Sunday morning. Suggestion, not a command. I know, you know, coffee and a donut. Boy, it gives you that quick pickup, right? It drops you like a cheap date. <laughs> right about the time when I walk into the pulpit, all that caffeine and sugar, it's gone. <laughs> Plan. Protein, it'll stay with you longer, honest. Listen to worship music on Sunday morning, in the car, on the way. Just to get your mind thinking, in the, you know, hey, I'm going here to worship, so let's just begin to think that way. And finally, plan to arrive early so you're not like rolling in on two wheels at at 1029, you know, try, you take the kids here and I'll go here. And, you know, <laughs> I'm here. Just a little advanced planning. Listen, if you can get out of the house by, you know, 1015, you can get out of the house by 10. If you can get out of the house by 10, you can get out by 945. You know what I'm saying? You can make it happen. Make it happen if you plan for it. All right. We have to hear with our hearts. Secondly, we must hear with our heads. We must hear with our heads. I'm reminded of Acts chapter 17, 17th chapter of Luke's account of the first 30 years of the church. Acts chapter 17, tracing Paul's second missionary journey here. Paul's been run out of town in Thessalonica, beginning of Acts 17. We pick it up in verse 10. The brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. So they sent them south. When they arrived, they went into the synagogue of the Jews, as was their custom and habit. Now, these were more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica, for they received the word with great eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. Therefore, many of them believed, along with a number of prominent Greek women and men. 
They received the word, it says, with great eagerness, searching the scriptures to see whether what was being preached to them was true, that it, that it comported with the scriptures. In other words, there was, a, there was an active interaction going on with the preaching. Typically, I will spend somewhere between 15 and 20 hours a week in preparation to preach to you on Sunday morning. That would be a typical week. And that preparation involves a, a somewhat intense expenditure of intellectual and spiritual energy. In other words, there's a lot of research going on. It's, it's kind of like writing a research paper every week. There's a lot of effort that goes into it. And, and I do that because I, I'm under compulsion from the... Listen, if none of you ever showed up, I mean, Carol would be here, but... And, and, she, and I would give her the... You know, she'd get the same thing. So it's not like just because they're all here, you know, you get it. And if you're not here, you know what I'm saying? It's... The message has to, has to be robust. It has to be nutritious. It has, to, it has to hold you, as it were. So there's a lot of effort that goes, that goes into it. And beyond that, I prepare a full manuscript every week. I write out, again, there are always exceptions that proves the rule, but, but I write out every week a full manuscript of what I'm going to say. Now, I'll tell you these things, not to in any way try to imply that I'm immune from error or misspeaking. I just tell you this so, so you understand there's been a lot of effort that's gone into this. And I welcome your questions. I, I welcome the interaction. In fact, if, if at the end nobody comes up and says anything, I feel so lonely. Not to come up and say, oh, that was wonderful. I, yeah, thank you. What really lights my fire is to, for someone to come and to say, hey, you know, I was thinking about this and what about that? And that tells me, wow, they're, they're really processing and interacting here. And so after service, right, we, we do a Q&A. Some of you know that because you're there every week. But again, every Sunday, almost without exception, down front here from 12.15 on, and I'll stay as late as you'll stay. A chance to interact together with the Word of God. I mean, this is a fantastic opportunity for us to be together and do this. We need to listen with our heads. So, practically, how do we go about that? How do we practice? What are some suggestions here to practically listen with our heads, to engage intellectually with the preaching? It starts here. Here's number one be consistent. In your attendance, be consistent in your attendance. It's really hard to stay engaged in a lengthy sermon series when you're missing every other installment. It's kind of like walking in on a TV show when it's half over and saying, oh, I don't understand what's going on. Can someone explain it to me? Well, yeah, if you'd have been here when it started, it would, you'd be fine. Now, I understand people miss. I mean... Get it. I mean, we live in the land of distractions. But, but discipline yourself to be here. Make Sunday 
an important day in your life and be here if you can. And if you can't, then download the sermon off of the website. It's there. Or get yourself a CD. That's, you know, there was, um, there was 8-track, and then there was cassette, then there was CD. You remember that? They're in, they're, you can see them in a museum. Or you can do the DVD route. You know, we will burn a DVD for you. Or just watch it on your phone, listen to it on a podcast, whatever. Stay engaged, stay up. Because the sermons build. Because the letters build. I mean, the, the Word of God, it, it, you know, it has a beginning and a middle and an end, and it's going someplace. Request to be put on the sermon note distribution list. So every Friday, if you're on that list, you just call the office if you want to be on the list. Hundreds of people are on the list, and they have delivered to their inbox the full manuscript that I bring into the pulpit. You have every, everything I come with, you've got. So if you're the kind of learner that needs to, you know, you like to see it and hear it at the same time, you'd have it in front of you. So for some people, that's really helpful. It's available. It's available. Where am I? Four. Four. Come to church expectantly. Come with an expectation to learn. The psalmist writes in Psalm 119, verse 18, Open my eyes that I may behold wonderful things from your law. Great prayer. Great prayer. When you get here, enter into the worship. Sing. Right? Sing with the congregation. Sing to one another in the congregation. This past year, I think one of the, the most um, helpful changes we've made in our morning liturgy, as it were, is, is for that spoken call to worship. It's been phenomenal, week in and week out, to, to focus us and draw our hearts to the place of where we need to be. So sing. Follow along in your Bible. Have your Bible open. Follow along. Turn to the different passages, the cross-references, and so forth. Listen attentively when people are praying. Follow along. If note-taking is helpful, take notes. Whatever, whatever to keep yourself engaged. You know how you learn best. Practice it. Six, fight off distractions. Fight off the distractions. I understand how they come, believe me. Where that thought come from? You know, they just, they're constantly bombarding us. So fight. Fight them off. As they say, the average person can listen twice as fast as the average person can speak. And I can speak pretty fast. Well, what that means is, is that our brain has a lot of extra capacity. And so it can... It can carry on like two things at the same time, listening to the sermon and, and um, you know, working out the project for Monday morning at work. But that's not a great place to be. So you got to fight so that you stay fully focused. Monday morning will take care of itself. Stay fully focused. Oh, simple things. Turn off your cell phone. Just turn off your cell phone. 
Listen, I know electronic Bibles. I lost that battle. I, I lost it. I know I lost it. I still think this is better. I'm just telling you. I think this is better. But if you're, if you're an electronic person, hey, okay, you know, you can apologize to me in heaven, but, <laughs> but go for it. But, but at least do this. Turn off the notifications on your phone or your tablet or whatever it is. You know, all the, the pop-up things that tell you what the baseball score was and, you know, what your, your stock brokerage account's doing and, and, uh, and who liked your Twitter, you know, post and all the rest of that stuff. I mean, if you're going to use electronics... Then, then be disciplined in your use of the electronics. Don't allow those things to continue to, to assault you. Simple stuff. Go to the bathroom before the service, right? You wouldn't think you'd have to say that to a room full of adults, but here it is. <laughs> Go to the bathroom before the service. If you have two cups of coffee at 9 o'clock, you know you're going to have to go to the bathroom. So go before. Go before. Probably stepping on toes here, but meh, equal opportunity offender. Listen, if, you're, if your child is really crying or making a nuisance of themselves, please take them out. Okay? We have a cry room with a live video feed. You know, I'm, I'm all for children in the pulpit, or not in the pulpit, but in the... <laughs> after service, if they want to come and, you know, that'd be okay, but... But in the service, hey, when our kids are growing up, we, you know, our kids sat in the service, we, the same, we went through the same training things where, you know, you teach them to sit still and listen and, and all the rest of that. And I, I'm fully supportive of that. And, and you, you know, those who know me well know that, a, you know, a little cry here or there or whatever doesn't throw me off my groove. I'm pretty, I can concentrate pretty well. So it's really not so much about me, it's about the people around you. So just love the people around you enough that if your child is becoming a distraction, be aware and please take them out. Okay? Don't send me emails about this. Okay? <laughs> Maintain eye contact with the preacher. I got new glasses. I can see all the way to the back row now. So just, you know, maintain that eye contact. It's, it's really helpful for me, and it's really helpful for you to maintain that eye contact. And then if you want to throw in some, some body language, you know, an occasional amen, a nod, a smile, laugh at a joke, all of that, that's all good too. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. It lets me know that you're listening. All right, what do we got? Hearing with our hearts, hearing with our heads. Third and finally, we'll close it up here. We must hear with our hands. Must hear with our hands. So our hearts, our head, our hands. James speaks to us about this in James chapter one. James chapter 1, beginning in verse 19. James chapter 1, beginning in verse 19. This you know, my beloved brethren, but everyone must be quick to hear, 
slow to speak and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all the remains of wickedness, in humility receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. But prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. But one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. If anyone thinks himself to be religious and yet does not bridle his tongue but deceives his own heart, this man's religion is worthless. Pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the word of the world. So, to hear with our hands. I like Costco. I, I like Costco because, well, there are many reasons. Let me count the ways. But, um, but one of them is they have the most amazing samples, don't you think? I mean, if you time it just right, you can go through Costco and you could, you could at least do a four-course meal. And there's so many people there that you just got to go around the store and you can go back. It's an amazing place. But that should not be our approach to the, to the scriptures, to the, to the sermon. It's not to, to just kind of graze, take what we want, pass by the other. When the word of God is preached, we have a responsibility to act upon what we hear. That's James' whole message here. There is a responsibility to, to unite our hearing with, with effectual doing. The goal of all preaching is life transformation. It is life transformation. That is the goal of preaching. That's what we are after. That's what I'm after this morning is life transformation. I want you, and my prayer for you is when you walk out of here this morning after hearing this sermon, that something will change. That something different, there'll be something different about your life. Something positively different about your life. And the way preaching does that is that the Spirit uses the Word of God to, to move the human will. To push us along, to pull us along. Spirit-empowered preaching changes how we think and what we think. And that changes how we live. That's the process. What that means is, is that you have every right to expect me to be a doer of my own sermons. To be a hearer who is an effectual doer. In other words, to practice what I preach. That is your right and expectation. 
It's not all about me standing up here and saying, you need to do this and you need to do that and you should stop doing that. Think about it this way. If it takes me 15 to 20 hours to put this thing together, I've had it a lot longer than you have. So, so there's a legit expectation for me to practice what I preach. But conversely, there is also a legit expectation for me to believe that you will practice what I preach, what you hear from the, from the Spirit of God through his word. So practically speaking, suggestions. How to prepare our hands to hear. Number one, think through specific applications for the sermon even as you are listening. In other words, this morning as you've been listening to this, be thinking about, okay, I could, I could do that or I could implement that or I could make this tweak or whatever. God wants us to respond to what we hear. Second, as soon as possible, discuss the sermon with someone else. Discuss the sermon with someone else and focus on how do I apply what we've heard. So, at home, around the dinner table, if you go home, you've, you've been here as a family, you've heard the sermon, make that a part of your dinner conversation. Talk about what did we hear together, gang? And what can we do about it? Resolve to make a specific change in your life as a result of the sermons that you hear. Go out with that expectation. I'm going to change. By God's grace, the power of his spirit, I'm going to change. Then pray and ask the Spirit of God to help you change. It's a prayer he delights in answering. And then take a specific action of change. Okay, so illustration. Let's say that, that you know, we, we began by talking about a daily intake of the Word of God, right? So maybe that's an area in your life where you're just still struggling. You're, you're sporadic in your reading of the Bible. You might be doing really good for a while, and then you fall off the bandwagon, and then you go a week or two weeks or a month or whatever it is, and, and you just are not reading the Word of God with any kind of consistency at all. So you still haven't really developed that pattern yet, that habit. So think about a time. If you're married, talk with your, with your husband or your wife and find a time that you will set aside just 15 minutes, 15 minutes out of a day, out of a 24-hour cycle, 15 minutes when you are going to give yourself to the reading of the Word of God and then set an alarm in your phone so that it pops up and make it the same time every single day. That's how habits are formed. Listen, we live our life by habit. That's how God designed us. So set that alarm, begin to read the scriptures. Again, 
10 minutes, 15 minutes, whatever it takes, build the consistency, and then you can lengthen the time. There are tons of Bible reading plans. They're all over the place. The church provides one in the electronic bulletin that's a suggestion. There's many, many, many ways to do it. Or just be building that pattern, that habit. Praying, helping the Spirit. You know, if you're going to do it in the morning before you, you know, before your eyes close at night for that final time, just a quick prayer. You know, Lord, help me get up tomorrow morning and to meet you in the Word of God. He delights in answering that kind of prayer. Where am I? Number five. Getting close here. Number five. You can review the sermon notes. If you're on the distribution list and you, and you get the notes, you can review them and reread the passage later in the week. It's another way to keep it fresh. Okay? You can do it as a family. You can do it as an individual. And then finally, join a small group. If you're, not, if you're part of Foothill and you're not part of a small group, then, then become part of a small group. There are about 51 another's in the New Testament. About 50 of them. And they're almost without exception very hard to practice in a, in a large grouping like this. But in the dynamics of a, of a small group, that's when we really can learn to practice these one another's together. So become part of a small group. Make it a priority of your life. This is a chance for, for the head and the hands and the heart to connect together through the Word of God. Okay? Here with our hearts, here with our heads, here with our hands. I pray the Spirit of God this week really encourages your heart, really just cements within you a, a new resolve to say, hey, you know what? It's 2018, and it's only the end of the first quarter. There's a whole bunch of year left. Let's, um, let's establish some of these patterns. May God bless the preaching of his word. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the scriptures and that you have given us full access to them. Father, when I just think about historically how limited access to the Bible has been, and, I, and even today in certain parts of the world, and I think about the men and women and boys and girls who suffered terribly and, and yet we have it so readily apparent, so, so available to us. And, and preaching, Father, there's just preaching, good preaching all over the place. So we just have this, this wealth of resources. And Lord, just help us to, to take advantage of them. Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters here that they would not leave in feeling like they've been beat up or... or placed under a, a load of guilt and condemnation, but just an encouragement, a recognition that the relationships take effort, they take work. And of all relationships, this is the one that is eternal and most worth pursuing. So Father, I pray that each of us could take just one thing away this morning that we, the power of your Holy Spirit, could work on. And we get to the end of this year, we look back on 2018, Father, and we can say, wow, Lord, you've helped me. I've, I've, I have made progress. Accomplish your good purposes in us, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.